The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there, I'm Lou Blaustein, and welcome to episode 14 of Green Sports Pod. This conversation with Dr. Maddie Orr, founder and co-director of the Sport Ecology Group, and a researcher at the University of British Columbia, or UBC, was recorded last month and is part of Green Sports Blog's occasional Sports and Carbon series. Now, there are many issues surrounding sports and carbon. Will the sports world take real, meaningful actions to reduce carbon emissions, or will it be content to rely mostly on offsets? How big a problem is sports greenwashing, or more to the point, sports carbon washing, and what can be done about it? How do we bring emitters and polluters along with us towards real action on carbon reduction, rather than simply scolding them? When thinking of finding someone who would really dig deep on sports and carbon issues and who doesn't deal in platitudes, I was excited that Maddie Orr, one of the leading thinkers and doers in the green sports ecosystem, accepted my invitation in what seemed like a nanosecond. I really looked forward to our discussion. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been excited for this conversation for a few weeks. So it really came about based on really that sweat not oil report that was put out by Rapid Transition Alliance, which is a climate action group and advocacy group based in the UK, alongside the New Weather Institute, if I remember correctly, and Possible. And it's part of what's called the Badvertising Campaign, which I just think is amazing as a title. So the Sweat Not Oil report came out recently and estimated that the global sports industry is currently worth $471 billion, which is an insane figure when you think about it. And they went into you know where that money comes from. And a big part of it is sponsorship, as everybody knows. No surprise there. I guess the main push of the report was to call for sports organizations around the world, including advertisers, including the marketing firms that work with sports companies and brands, and then the people just working in those front offices to stop promoting high carbon lifestyles and to essentially break their ties from products, services, and brands that promote high carbon lifestyles. So we're talking about airlines, we're talking about car companies, we're talking about obviously oil and gas. And you know, when you look around the sports world, there's a whole lot of sponsorship on that. And I can't think of a single major sports team in North America right now that doesn't have either a car, an airline, or oil and gas directly involved in what they do. And so it really kind of started this conversation on Twitter, blew up really quickly on LinkedIn around what is the sports world's responsibility to decarbonize? Many are already kind of on that road. And then by extension, how do they, what's their responsibility or role in bringing sponsors and partners along for that ride? It came on my radar in an article in The Guardian. And so when this got that kind of, you know, in sports and carbon and decarbonizing sports and the role of fossil fuels and funding sports got such kind of prominent 
coverage from a major media outlet, yes, from the left end of the spectrum, but still a respected media outlet, I thought, this is a, a real inflection point. The sports decarbonization movement is really new and kind of, you know, I think to this point has been limited to people who would listen to a podcast like this or your podcast. Yeah. But now all of a sudden it's in The Guardian. So it's out there. So what do you think that getting such airing means? It harkens back a little bit to big tobacco getting axed from the sports world way back. But I mean, obviously, that was a process that took a really long time. I think this is not going to be the end of the story. I don't think it'll be a one and done. I do think it'll be a little more drawn out than this report would wish in the sense that the report was very black and white, right? Carbon emissions are bad. We must reduce them. You've got your, I'm with you so far, but then they go to, and therefore we must cut all high polluting industries out of sports. And that seemed a little too black and white for me. I think there's oh, so, a lot so of, say a little more on that. yeah, I think there's just a lot more nuance to it. Right. And I think like, first of all, there's a big difference between, you know, talking about your shell, your gas probe, your BP compared to, you know, your Honda, your Toyota, your Ford, even like those are two very different things. Obviously they are related, but a pure oil and gas producer versus like a producer of vehicles, like it's two different things. The other part of it is I worry a little bit that when we get to the point of straight up, like yes to this, no to this, it can send a really bad message and it can be a bit misconstrued as, you know, environmentalists, angry leftists coming up and wanting to like pull opportunities, pull jobs, rip apart existing industries. Like it's not necessarily the approach that I would take or that I think, you know, many of the people I work with in this space would would choose to take, both because we're talking about massive amounts of money that would have to be replaced quite quickly, that I don't know where that's going to come from, especially right now while sponsorship is down 36% internationally in sports. So I'm not really sure how that would work in the first instance. So I think it has to be a phased model. Second, I think I don't want to condemn companies like airlines and vehicles for doing their job. We are in the middle of a a very early stage of transition. And so this was something that was picked up by Biden at the Leaders Summit two weeks ago now, I guess we're recording in early May that we're about to enter a major transition phase, which is awesome. And we and there have been groups that have been working on this for a really long time. So I don't want to say that it's early and like, this is the beginning. It's not, it's been going on, but accelerating a transition. But we have to remember it as a transition. It's not just like, oh, cut and done. There's a lot of jobs in the mix that have to be transitioned. There's a lot of people who we don't want to leave behind. We don't want to be alienating people. But that said, you know, at the end of the day, the end of the transition, the goal at the end should be that we start decarbonizing sport and that we have a suite of sponsors who are very much aligned in their values. And we are going that way. I just think that the let's cut all these sponsors tomorrow may not be the best approach, especially lumping all these industries together as one. Yeah, I think black and white, good and evil is just is not going to cut it. Yeah, I think that and that makes it challenging for the people who really want it makes it challenging for the companies, but it also makes it challenging for people who want to accelerate the pace of change. Totally. Because it's easy to get in that good and versus bad, good versus evil. I have to fight it in my own self. However, I think the best way to approach it or to begin to approach it from 
the green sports practitioner for the green sports, I'll call him or her activist, is to say, okay, how can we first attempt to work with the companies who are led by humans just like us, who hopefully are well-intended, to see if we can show them the benefits of accelerating their own pace of change. Again, it comes back to like, we can't lump entire industries into the same boat. Now, I will give the caveat that for me, some of these oil and gas companies are a little too far gone, right? Like it's gonna take a whole lot for you to convince me that BP should get any airtime anywhere when they've totally poisoned entire sections of our ocean and have been laying people off left, right, and center without severance in different parts of the US. Like these are stories that don't get picked up often, but like these oil and gas companies have been bleeding jobs for a long time and they claim to protect workers, but they don't. And they cause all sorts of damage and they hide the fact that most of the middle of the country, Oklahoma, Arkansas, so on and so forth, have had increasing in frequency and increasing in severity earthquakes as a result of fracking, and that has caused all sorts of damage. These are companies that have been bad actors for a long time. And so I don't want to put a car company in that same, in their company. I don't think that's really fair. No, I agree. So I I think we have to kind of distance what we mean. But then even within aviation, within vehicles, or auto rather, there are differences. There are better and worse. And I think you're right. It's not the black and white cut everything doesn't make a lot of sense. But I do think that there's really an opportunity in the same way that like your sports organization is probably not going to be carbon neutral tomorrow. I think there's an opportunity for the sports managers to say, hey, Ford, GM, Honda, insert other, you know, like Qatari Airlines or British Airways or whoever is your sponsor. Let's have a conversation about what your sustainability goals are. Let's have a conversation about what your EDI goals are. Let's align our values here and promote whatever aspects of your business are most aligned with our values. And I think that that's a really cool way to A, activate new versions of sponsorship and new promos that we haven't really seen much of. And B, I think it's a really interesting way to pull everybody along for the ride and demonstrate that like a transition is possible and it's not going to happen overnight, but it can happen slow and steady. And that slow and steady is good enough. It just, so long as it's consistent we open a lot more doors. We bring a lot more people into the conversation when we approach it that way. So as much as, you know, the real activist in me would love to say like, okay, we wake up tomorrow, we cut all oil and gas, we cut all really big trucks, we cut all private jets. Like that's just not a realistic version of this conversation. And we actually need those players to come to the table and be part of a transition. So sports can play a role there in helping them to promote their sustainable action and to tell them like, hey, we want to continue this relationship, but US Airways we need for you to help us offset every flight we take. That's going to be part of this relationship now or whatever that might be, right? That's relative to them. That makes a lot of sense from a business standpoint that limits the carbon emissions associated with the existence of the relationship in the first place. And again, that brings more people along for that ride. I think, and I don't know if I've spoken about this with you, but I think, let's say I'm the NHL, right? And the NHL, in terms of sports leagues that have been out there in terms of talking about their greening, the NHL was pretty much first out of the major ones. Mm -hmm. And let's say they want to continue their, I don't know who their uh, airline sponsor is, but let's just say for the sake of discussion, it's Delta. So to me, if I'm the NHL and I want to continue that partnership with Delta and Delta is saying we are trying to green ourselves, I would create 
a low carbon aviation innovation fund, aviation fuel innovation fund. How about we each put in X dollars into this fund and then we promote it on our broadcasts on whatever new, I guess they're going with ESPN and TNT starting next season. And something like that, something really breakthrough. Yeah. And you know what? I think there's a bunch of barriers that are preventing some of that from happening, right? And I think I want to be conscious of mentioning them because I don't think that the problem is that the people in sports who are working in these roles aren't creative enough, aren't talented enough, aren't smart enough to come up with this. I think they are. The issue is a few things. One, most people working in sports, and I think I've said this on every time I've spoken to your podcast or anybody else's, but most people working in sports were never trained to think about climate, to think about EDI, to think about these kinds of social and environmental issues in any real way, aside from, oh, this is something we should promote on like our breast cancer awareness day, right? Like that has been for decades. The best practice is like, have your CSR group talk about it once. <laughs> and so I think that we need, there's an education piece that has to happen to bring sports managers to empower them to think about this, to empower them with the knowledge and, and the resources they need to do it. So that's one piece. The second piece is often what you find in a sports organization, I think this is a real hindrance, is that your sustainability person is in your facilities department or maybe your corporate social responsibility department. Then separately in a separate office over on the other side of the building is your marketing team. And then they're, they'll talk to finance, but finance is in a whole separate office. Legal is up the hall. Like no one actually is in the same place. And often they're not working to the same deadlines and goals. And so what you end up with is a marketing team that's engaging with sponsors, a sustainability person who's responsible just for the facility and nothing else, an EDI person who's not involved in the sustainability conversation to ensure it's intersectional and inclusive. And you end up with kind of this very messy piecemeal approach that is not holistic, is not long-term, is not going to work realistically. And that's not the fault of the individual workers in that space. I think really like that's an organizational structure thing that has to be taken on from the top before any of these things can even start to happen in a meaningful way. Back in a different uh, lifetime, I worked in advertising sales and sponsorship sales, and I can only imagine today's sponsorship sales folks being told by a team that, hey, we have to move away from these dirty energy sponsors, and we need to be able to sell to cleaner brands, cleaner energy. And they may not have the confidence or the knowledge base to be able to do that. Well, that's an opportunity, and a, an opportunity the green sports world, whether it be consultants or organizations like the Green Sports Alliance or Basis and, and others to really push that in a positive way because this is an opportunity, right? This is like we're, we're talking about the one side of the equation, which is the, the challenges of dealing with the transition and potentially pulling away from some sponsorship categories. But Maddie, isn't there the flip side of new categories that could really provide great uh, revenue for these teams and, and uh, the sponsorships that they're selling. You know, I agree. And I would go one further just to say, this is the opportunity, right? I mean, there's been a lot of focus on communicating climate change and climate action to fans. And I think that that's a valid point. I think often it gets really focused, unfortunately, on personal actions and usually related to consumption behaviors. And I think 
for the most part, people don't always have the same choices. You know, if you live in a smaller community that doesn't have great public transit, you may not have the option to get rid of your car. If you are a parent who has to get their kid to place A, B, and C, like you, that's not really a choice. If you're a person with, for whatever health reason, you need to be eating meat, then we can't really say get rid of meat. If you're a person who's an immigrant, we shouldn't be saying don't fly because that's basically telling you don't go see your family when everybody else can. So like that doesn't, I think there's a lot of issues with those personal action pieces and it becomes a bit of a purity test on environmental action that a lot of people can't engage in. It's not really a fair playing field. And also that's just not the point, right? If we get, if we can drop subsidies to fossil fuels, we eliminate most of our issues with climate change pretty quickly. Like there's other ways to do this that are systemic. So I think that communicating to fans on ways that they can maybe use less plastic is, it's a nice idea, but like, that's not really the end game here. The bigger opportunity as I see it is really engaging with other corporations and this, and the supply chain and the partner portfolio and bringing them along for the ride. I think if sports can make itself out to be the leading or one of the leading industries right now, it's way behind. But if we can carve ourselves out to be the industry that's pulling all their partners along for the ride, all of a sudden, the knock on effect of that impact is massive. And so like you say, it's an opportunity here, like a business opportunity. It's also and I know we love to pull politics out of sport, but like, it's always been political. Most of these facilities are owned by the public. So it is political. Sports have a political opportunity to position themselves as leaders. And so far, they have started to maybe think about that and flirt with leadership on EDI and racial issues. Some of them have, although many are still behind, right? And like the NHL, right? We'll go back there. They have been very vocal about their green efforts and honestly pretty bad. And they've been getting some really harsh feedback on social media about their response to racial injustice. But these organizations are starting to recognize the benefit, the business value of aligning their good values with their sponsorship portfolio, with their communications and with the rest internally in terms of how they organize themselves and how, who they hire and how that works on the inside and how they relate to their communities. And I think the more they start to do that and flirt with that leadership role and really embody like the, you are the center of this community, act like it, right? That's a responsibility and a privilege to be in that role. I think there's a, the business prospects are there. They exist. They've been there for a really long time. Like how many solar companies are in the business of sponsoring sports? And the answer is not many, because if I'm a sports, if I'm a solar person or even an EV person, I'm not getting in bed with a sports brand that currently is partnered with one of the worst emitters. Like that's not something I'm very interested in. So there's missed opportunities by going down the current route. And I think they're only going to get fewer and fewer, whereas shifting and, and getting involved in leadership and values alignment. And I think that's the key because we can't say everybody has to do the same thing. That's not going to work either. There's no differentiation then, <laughs> but values alignment for what works with what your community is asking for and what they need. I think we start to see the business opportunities fall in line. Oh, yeah. And I actually, I think that we are at such an inflection point in terms of the scaling of the climate action imperative. And as it relates to sports, right? If you ask any commissioner of any pro sports league, certainly in North America, and I'm sure in other places, what do they worry about most? Sorry, it ain't climate change. But what it is, is how do I get, forget millennials now, there are, how do I get Gen Z and I guess Gen Alpha, which are, who are the, it's the cohort after, how do I get them to 
care about sports even in any way close to the way the their older counterparts did. And I'm not conceited enough to say, oh, if we do the right thing on climate, that's going to make someone a big Vancouver Canucks fan or Atlanta Falcons fan or what have you. But I will tell you, it ain't going to hurt. It's going to make it stickier for this generation that now is just going to demand companies, including sports teams and leagues, to be on the active side of this issue, the solution side of this issue. And so I think, and sports is all about, I like to say we use an eco-athletes, we use the hashtag climate comeback. It's about doing some big things while also trying not to be punitive, right? So here's a big idea that, that I've been thinking of. So a lot of the EV companies don't advertise, many are small, but Tesla is now a humongous company, but they don't advertise because their brand is so cool. But what if you made the pitch to Elon Musk and his people? Hey, Tesla, if you became a sponsor, I'm making it up, of the the NFL and paid X millions of dollars, the NFL, as part of taking you on as a sponsor, will not do any sponsorships with oil and gas and coal companies. And you're going to be spending more, your spend will be a little bit more than what they would have gotten from the oil, gas, and coal combined. Now, that's a big investment. Elon Musk, but you want to solve the climate crisis. This is a huge way of doing it. Or imagine Amazon, which has the climate pledge. Again, doing this replacement, kind of replacing out the oil and gas companies. I'm leaving auto and aviation in, but you know, taking out the oil and gas. It would be a huge PR win for them. And they would get so much more than what they spend out of that. I don't know. I was just thinking. There's a few points that I wanted to pick up on, one of them being how people respond to these things, right? I think there's a perception pretty pervasive among sports managers that if they lean too left, right, on social issues or environmental issues, that they're going to lose fans. So the reality is that doesn't, that's not really how it works. Fan attachment to teams, right? Fan identification is very strong. Most people are not about to change their fan identification and their team support based on any one thing. We saw that with the, frankly, the lack of support around some of the stuff going on in 2020 with racial uh, racial injustice and, and protests. And so there's been some really great research by some of my colleagues actually um, in the sport ecology group and really would encourage people to go check that out on our website. But there's some great research that really shows, you know, when you lean into your values, you don't lose your fan, you don't lose your base. What happens is you pick up all the people kind of on the bubble who are those casual people, the fans that might attend a game once in a while as part of a social function or on a date, but they're not fans. They happen to live in the city and this happens to be a part of entertainment, but it could have easily been going to a movie that night. You pick up those people when your values that you're projecting and that you're promoting through your sponsorships, through your portfolio, through everything you're doing in the building, you pick them up and they become more attached. And all of a sudden you've actually got a fan right? So it's all those people on the bubble that get brought in because they see that values alignment. And I think when we're talking about young people, they're asking for this. I don't know that there's a ton of research on young people's perceptions of sports brands that are doing the right thing, quote unquote, frankly, because it hasn't been public really until the last year. So there hasn't just been a lot, there hasn't been much to study there yet. But we know that young people, for example, overwhelmingly prefer brands that have sustainability goals and that communicate on them. And so 
we know also that the big sponsors in the sports world, the Visas, the Coca-Colas, the most of the major car manufacturers, we know that that group of big, big business is greening their work and, and they're doing it because they know that the consumers want it. So, you know, I think the same applies. We're only going to get more people interested and we're not going to lose the base if we focus on greening some of our partnerships. The second thing you said was really interesting as well in terms of the replacement. I think we have to keep in mind that often when it comes to a sponsorship agreement, we're talking about multi-year deals. And so these things can't just be broken overnight without some severe penalties. And I think because of that, the approach has to be instead of like full-on replacement, it has to be, okay, Coca-Cola or okay, Visa or okay, you know, insert brand here, Bridgestone, Pirelli, some of these even like peripherally associated with vehicles, right? What are you doing on sustainability across all three pillars? How do we communicate that as part of your promotions that happen through the sports brand? Because we're interested not just in promoting Pirelli tires, we want to promote Pirelli sustainability, reusable product, blah, 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 blah. Or we're not really interested in promoting massive overseas flights for every person on a whim on a vacation, but we recognize that there's some business travel that's going to continue to happen and some people have to travel home for various reasons and there's some very legitimate reasons to travel. Let's promote the opportunities to offset your flight when you travel. I think it's those opportunities that are really going to be key because again, these sports brands are stuck in these sponsorship deals and not stuck. It's actually an opportunity like, hey, we have three years to figure this out and to do better before this comes up. And if it goes well, shoot, let's sign again, right? But if the values alignment isn't there, then it's not going to work. And, and so putting those brands, those sponsors on notice of this is our expectation, this is what we're looking for, is going to go a long way. And I think we'll actually start to find that it might come the other way. It might actually be that the brands want to showcase their sustainability via their sports outlets and partnerships, and that they expect that the sports brands are also being sustainable on their own. So I think it's going to come from both sides. There's no question that where I was coming was, you know, with a big idea, but there's going to be an on-ramp and an off-ramp. On-ramp mm -hmm. for the, the greener sources of energy and carbon-free brands, and then an off-ramp for the carbon-intensive brands. But what about, as when we were starting, we were talking about a difference between, say, the auto and aviation world versus oil, gas, extractive industries. And you have... In, for example, Europe, Gazprom, which is a state-owned natural gas company out of Russia, is all over the European sporting map, including you know, having their logo on the jersey of Chelsea and other prominent soccer slash football teams. How does the sustainable sports world, the world that we inhabit, deal with that? Because there are going to be activists outside of our world who are going to protest this, I imagine. How does something like I don't know, the UN Sport for Climate Action framework, the people who are putting that together and the working groups deal with this kind of bad actor sponsorship that these teams and organizations are taking because they need the, the revenue? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a big one too. I don't know that there's any one specific answer. What I will say is this, the Sport for Climate Action framework already provides for this, right? Number one, undertake systemic efforts to promote greater environmental responsibility. That doesn't just mean you. It means every entity you engage with, your whole supply chain, all your partners, the whole organizational system and institutional environment is engaged. Number three, educate for climate action, right? These are the principles of the Sport for Climate Action framework. And often we hear only about 
what organizations are doing to reduce their own footprint. And then they promote, like number four, promote sustainable and responsible consumption among their fans in terms of like, hey, it'd be really cool if you took the bus to get here. The reality is, if you're promoting via your brand a bunch of unsustainable products, then you're not actually doing number one, three, or four. So <laughs> I, I start to wonder, like, you know, part of the problem with the framework is that there's just no teeth to it, right? So anybody can kind of sign on and make their intentions known, which is awesome. And then there's obviously a slow build to enact the policies that are going to bring that those intentions to life. But I also think because there's no follow-up, because you can't get dropped off the list of signatories in five years if you haven't done anything or made significant improvement, we lose it. I think one of the big things is the framework was written mostly with the intention of promoting to fans the opportunity to be green and to engage the fan system, right? The networks of people, millions, actually billions around the world based on percentages of people who follow sport, right? So we can reasonably expect billions of people around the world. Two to three billion. Sport. Right. So we're talking two to three billion people who have access to this. Like, yes, that's a great opportunity. Let's focus there. But let's not forget that you collect a lot of money based on the size of your platform from brands who are also promoting to those same two to three billion people. And if those people are promoting something that's not responsible and sustainable, then you're not doing your job either. Now, that's the harshest version. And that's the version that was promoted in the report. So again, all of the nuance gets taken out with that version of the story. But, you know, I think it's it's worth just bringing it up as a reminder, like the marketing team has to work with the communications department, the media department, the sustainability person or people or department, hopefully eventually we'll get to a point where it's a department because yes, we want to communicate to the fans. That's really important. But we got to remember also, like, it's not just about communicating the fact that like you have recycling on site. It's also, if you are promoting recycling on site and I get to your site and all of the jerseys have Gazprom on them and then around the actual field there's all sorts of promos and poster advertisements for airlines and whatever else like most of what i'm seeing that day actually the majority is promoting something very different than your vision for sustainability yeah, it's antithetical and completely and you know here's a way and I'll, i'd love to get your take on this and you mentioned earlier that people say sports we want to keep politics and sports separate but that just is it's inane because sports is so big a part of life. There's no way it can be outside of the discussion of issues, which is what politics really is, and nor should it. So here's another way I think that teams and leagues and organizations can get involved in the carbon uh, carbon mitigation issue. And that is, and, and without being punitive, mind you, and that is to support carbon pricing legislation in every jurisdiction. Because, And I'm not saying carbon pricing is a silver bullet. There is no such thing. And people will say, oh, teams and leagues don't get involved in that. And I'm like, that's not true. They do get involved in it. In the United States, during the uh, Supreme Court case about gay marriage, the Boston Red Sox, Tampa Bay Rays, and San Francisco Giants, I believe it was those three teams, signed friend of the court briefs publicly available in favor of gay marriage. That was a political hot button issue a few years back. And carbon pricing legislation is not seen as this far out thing now. So what were your thoughts on that? I just don't even think that's like, it's great if organizations wants to do that. Absolutely. 
I don't think it's necessary in the sense that there's so much sports organizations can do. And I would encourage them to consider that if they want to do that. Absolutely. But the priority, like you currently have a list of partners, sponsors, groups, fans, et cetera, that you can immediately communicate with on a variety of things. If you're telling me that one of your goals is going to be to be sustainable and we have, let's not forget way more organizations than not that are not even at that point way more. Like, Absolutely. I know that everybody likes to keep talking about sport for climate action framework as a huge success, but let's be frank for real, like 20 seconds here. And this is my most critical version, right? You're getting real critical Maddie here is go for you know, it. I'm sorry. 180 organizations over the whole world is such a minute fraction of nothingness that it really isn't making a dent. And those organizations are not super advanced for the most part, aside from making some promises. So like, I'm just really not, you know, I, I worry about the the perception that gets given off in the green sports world that this is really going well, like, really, it's not in a lot of ways. Right. And so us getting to the point of telling organizations that haven't even started to consider this yet aren't even at the recycling and LED light stage, that we're now wanting them to go and support carbon legislation. Like that's a huge step that I don't even know anybody like that they're willing to do or able to do or that it's open in the cards. Like I think it's a much easier step to say, let's get you on track. Let's get you your organization talking about your current sponsorship deals, where you can activate there. Let's think about your current supply chain, how we can reduce, reuse, recycle, et cetera, through the supply chain, how we can work with better suppliers what we can do in the building, what we can communicate to fans in terms of how they move to and from. All those different aspects, I think, are a lot more urgent and immediate. And if the organization's leadership wants to go the extra step of getting involved in collective action in the, in the form of political action, and then more power to you, and I'm excited, and I'm willing to have that conversation with any organization that wants to have it. So that's one piece, I think, and we have a few minutes left before I know we end the podcast, but I wanted to bring this up because I think it's really important. We need to also be weary, and this is related to the, you know, green sports really isn't going well when you think about it. We need to be weary of greenwashing because the other risk of some of these sponsorship relationships promoting the sustainable action as opposed to whatever their regular product is, is, and I'm glad you brought up Amazon because it's a great example, like Climate Pledge Arena is great on its own, but Amazon is not a sustainable business at all. And the fact that they're using Climate Pledge Arena to greenwash the brand overall, I think is very problematic. And so while I, and I tip my hat, I know a few of the people working over at Seattle Kraken and Seattle Storm, like some of the folks at Storm, like the two kind of main organizations that are going to occupy that space, they're really doing excellent work and, and their hearts are in the right place. And organizationally and operationally, their sustainability portfolio truly is outstanding. So I, I want to give credit where credit is due. But I also want to say that like, for a company as big as Amazon, I'm sorry, you offsetting one building doesn't cut it, my friends. And that is a gross use of sport as a vehicle for greenwashing. And I think we just have to be really wary of continuing that trend because that's also a problem. And I think that's a whole, that's almost enough for a, a, a whole separate podcast, just Amazon, carbon, and sports. <laughs> because I do think that Amazon, you basically, told the score on Amazon as to where it's been and where it is right now. I do think that not Climate Pledge Arena, but their Climate Pledge and the money that they are pledging to carbon mitigation and research 
is at least a potential step in the right direction that, as we've said throughout this podcast, that gives this green sports world an opening to work with them and Mm -hmm. to bring them along faster. And that, I think, is a huge opportunity that the various factions of the green sports movement that could engage with Amazon need to do that. Yeah. And I think it comes back to the point we made right off the top, right? Like most people working in sport are not empowered enough to make decisions that, or make, have these conversations with their sponsors for a number of reasons. They may not know what they're talking about when it comes to green sports. They may not have the right lingo or be worried that they might not have the right lingo. They just haven't been trained to be environmental advocates and climate people. So like, frankly, like it really is not their fault at all. I think there's a huge opportunity and it comes back to like, we need to help the sports world understand their role here um, and understand what the actual process is going to look like so that as we move forward, we get to a point where they're able to suss out this is a real and meaningful activation with our sponsor that promotes all the best versions without greenwashing. Here's how to check against greenwashing. That's another workshop 101 I would love to give at some point. And then get to the point where there's got to be some check and balance, right? And so right now, like coverage in the, the mainstream media of any climate action sport is very positive because there's just not a whole lot of it. And so anyone doing anything is a great thing. and it is, right? It is, of course. But at a certain point, we also need to start being critical of those greenwashing uh, pieces and conscious of the risk that exists with greenwashing so that we don't end up accidentally perpetuating the notion that like a climate pledge, which again, climate pledges are great, but a pledge is not a payment. Like I would love to see the receipts, first of all. I would love to see that the pledge grows in accordance with the size of the growth of Amazon as a company right? Like not just a a lump sum one-off amount, but like Amazon is growing exponentially through this pandemic. And I would love to see the percentage amount that they donate to climate action increases. I would love to see carbon reductions. Like there's all these other aspects that like climate pledge is a bit of, it's a bit of greenwashing. Like it's not the worst version, but it is some. And and so we just have to be conscious of that moving forward and, and empower all the people in the front office to understand the difference and to work towards some of those smarter solutions. And and I actually, I know a few people in this space who are doing awesome work developing resources on that. So stay tuned and pay attention because there will be more where the sweat for oil came from and, and hopefully a little bit more nuanced in, in upcoming iterations. Well, I, first of all, I think that it was so great to have this conversation because you can see even within it, the the kind of different tensions, the different kind of, challenging points for the green sports world, for the corporates, for the teams and the leagues. However, one, there is opportunity. Two, we have to be mindful and be able to call greenwashing and carbon sports washing out when we see it. Mm -hmm. But what we cannot do is just say, this is really hard. So we're just going to like accept some kind of cosmetic thing because we don't have the time not to be serious on this. Sorry for the double negative. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely agree. And, and I think it's going to be like, this is going to be a conversation we continue to have. And I'm excited to see some of the bigger organizations pick it up and have it for real. And then hopefully critically, you know, I also think we have to keep in mind that like, again, most sports organizations aren't doing anything let alone something. So like props to those who are trying and who are getting involved in the conversation at all. And and for those that are involved in the conversation or further along, like let's now take that next step of engaging sponsors and suppliers. 
and let's get to the sport for climate action framework from let's get some teeth into it. So that goes from pledge to action, because then, you know, you it's not a whole lot of organizations, but some of them like the IOC and FIFA and the New York Yankees have quite a bit of heft. Absolutely. Maddie, it was just a pleasure, a total pleasure. Always. Always is. So thank you. And we will be back again for sure. Yes, no doubt. No doubt indeed. You can follow Maddie Orr on Twitter and Instagram at Maddie, M-A-D-D-Y-J, Orr, O-R-R. That's M-A-D-D-Y-J-O-R-R. Also check out the Sport Ecology Group at sportecology.org. That's sport, singular, ecology.org. Finally, thank you again for listening to Green Sports Pod and for reading Green Sports Blog. Follow us on Twitter at Green Sports Blog and on Instagram at Green Sports Blogger. That's it for now. See you next time. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod.